What's up, everyone? This is episode 125 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks for capturing their first NBA title since 1971. So back in the days of Oscar and Kareem, and those guys actually showed up to one of the games, which was pretty cool to see. You know, I'll have to admit, there was a point early in the playoffs when I didn't have a lot of faith in this current Bucks squad. I didn't understand why Bud didn't have Giannis defend Durant earlier. I questioned Giannis's ability to, you know, make free throws and close out games as he should. Um, I thought Chris Middleton wasn't going to be consistent enough to make big shots when he needed to. All of those guys proved me wrong, and this finals turned out to be an absolute joy to watch. In fact, I wasn't ready for it to be over. I wanted Phoenix to take this thing to Game 7. You know, I know that was selfish on my part. But um, you know what? Milwaukee fans deserve to see Giannis hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy in person. And that's what they got. Um, Now, I know I have some Phoenix fans that listen to this show. So allow me to speak from experience for just a moment. I know this one stings for you. My team has made it to one NBA Finals. And they lost. And that was 21 years ago. That team, however, is still very special to me. You've heard some of my mail days on this show. Those Pacers finals cards are some of my favorites from my collection. So don't let the fact that this Suns team lost ruin the overall experience for you. You had a great year. You had a memorable year. I think you're in a good spot right now. And hopefully you have continued success in the future. Okay, enough about the finals. You can hear more of that commentary from experts on other shows. I feel like I've got a great episode for you today, so I'm ready to jump in. Earlier this week, I had a conversation with a hobby message board veteran. I've talked about him recently because he sold me my Dale Davis Star Rubies. Well, after I got done talking about that card, I thought to myself, you know what, Zach would be a great guest to have on to talk about message board history. So I'll have that chat for you here in just a minute. Before I get there, I want to take a moment, though, to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my main goals is to always keep the show itself free. So as a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to. Shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so I know that a lot of you are listening. You've at least browsed some of the current hobby message boards, be it the blowout forums or Reddit. I know others of you have been a part of these boards for a long time. I've heard many people voice their disapproval of what the boards have become. Well, no matter what your opinion of the current situation is, hobby message boards comprise a major part of hobby history. I think it's worth discussing, and I think it's worth documenting. That's what we're going to try and do here today. To help me do this, I've reached out to someone that's been an active part of the hobby message board community since 1999. And I've mentioned him on the show a couple of times recently for other reasons. Um, he actually sold me the Dale Davis card that I talked about. Some of you may know him from these forums as BDRR. Some of you may know him on Instagram as BDRR Sports Cards. Or if you've ever tried to claim a good deal on a Facebook sale, he's that name that's above yours. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I know you've been on the road for some of the different shows lately, or you're you're kind of prepping for the national. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I know you've joked with me before that your message board experience is eternal, and and it practically is. Uh, but there was still a beginning point for your collecting day. So before we get too far in today, can you give us a summary of your collecting history? How did you get into cards? So I started collecting uh, on the eve of the uh, 96-97 NBA season. My dad uh, was a loan officer at a variety of 
banks in Los Angeles. And one of the perks uh, was that he, you know, frequently get tickets to take uh, a client out to a game. And uh, once in a while, uh, the client wouldn't be able to go last minute. And so he'd just have tickets and he would, you know, take a friend or a family member. So when I was, I guess, nine years old, uh, he decided that this was the time he's going to take me to a game. And it happened to be the second game of the 1996 NBA season, uh, Lakers at home versus the Timberwolves. Um, so, you know, we go down and we stop at a 7-Eleven on, on the way to Staples. He buys me two packs of 1995-1996 clear metal. And I open them up. He's telling me who the players are. And I pull the Kevin Garnett rookie card, which I still have to this day. And he's telling me, of course, you know, oh, man, you know, Kevin Garnett's one of the best young players in the league, and you're going to see him tonight. So we go down to Staples, and I'm not kidding you. These tickets were in the fourth row. We were 100 feet away from the sideline, not even. And, uh, you know, it's Shaq's second game in Los Angeles. This is a big ticket. And we're down there at the Forum. And, of course, I am cheering for the Timberwolves because I have a Kevin Garnett rookie card. And uh, I ended up collecting Stephen Marbury and Kevin Garnett for probably the first uh, four years uh, that I was doing cards because of this. But really what's memorable uh, about this game is that with a couple minutes left in the fourth, it's, you know, it's garbage time. As, you know, Chick Hearn would say that, you know, fridge is closed. Kobe Bryant checks in for the first time. He had not played in the first game against the Phoenix Suns. I guess it was close, but this was his first NBA game. And my dad turns to me and goes, watch this kid. You know, they, they say he's going to be good. And uh, I remember he didn't score a basket. I was just like, oh, okay. You know, I'm nine years old and I'm watching this really young guy not really do anything. Yeah, okay, dad. But I, I, I was there for Kobe's first game. And uh, I really wish I still had that ticket stuff, but uh, that that's one of my big regrets is not, not being able to know where that ticket stuff is. Wow. That's a pretty crazy story. I, you know, I've seen posts from you for over 15 years now, and I don't think I had any clue um, that you, you know, that was kind of the beginning of your Garnet and your Marbury uh, and, and your collecting days from there. So uh, did you have a, a favorite team necessarily? Did you keep with the Timberwolves after that? Uh, no, Lakers have always been my team, uh, you know, just naturally, you know, passed down from my dad and, you know, being from Los Angeles. But the Timberwolves were always my secondary team, which is kind of odd because if I have a second city, it's Minneapolis for some reason. I'm also a Vikings fan because, um, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have a football team in Los Angeles for the longest right. time. And when I was growing up, I just thought Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss and Chris Carter were the best thing in the world. So I was a Vikings fan and, you know, then they got Adrian Peterson and then they got Anthony Barr and Kyle Kendricks, a bunch of UCLA grads. And it just, you know, they're still my team. They they were the best team on NFL Blitz. Um, and and yeah. I suppose it works because the Lakers were from Minneapolis originally. And then also, true. you know what, the Timberwolves were not a threat to the Lakers for, for many years um, and probably won't be for a long time either. Who knows? We took them down the 0304 season on the way the on the way of the finals that uh, we lost to the Pistons. I think that was the year that that was Garnett's MVP year. Yeah, I th- that was around the time. Uh, well, my Pacers. I I still think I <laughs> not to bring my Pacers into this. I still think my Pacers could have won around that time, but you know, just those those Pistons. So. Uh, we'll move on from that. I don't want to get bad feelings going here. Let's move into talking a little bit about actually that time frame uh, for me, and it'd be a little earlier for you. Uh, my hobby message board experience started in early 2004. So that would have been around that that same time. Um, and even then, I, I was very focused on my Ron Artest cards. Um, your experience predates that by at least a handful of years. So there's a little info before that that I plan to cover too about message board history. And I think the best way we can approach this is to go through a list of different boards. And then along the way, I'm going to add in some things that I think advanced that aspect like photo bucket and those sorts of things. And there's just so much history here. So just a disclaimer, 
you know, we're not going to cover every single thing. And, and, you know, I can only speak for myself. I won't be able to, but we will do the best that we can to kind of guide you through message board history and why that's so important to the hobby. Okay. So let's start off here. One of the early versions of a hobby message board would be the, the prodigy online message boards, which were very basic. And that would be kind of the early to the mid nineties. The time frame I've seen for that is 92 to 95. Uh, moving on from that would be the AOL basketball card chat rooms. And there were forum sections on there like Card Collector's Corner. I've heard some people talking about Usenet and Beanie Babies, um, but I don't have any firsthand experience with that stuff. And, and Zach, correct me if I'm wrong here. You don't really either? No. Okay. So let we'll keep moving through that. Just know, though, that there were some early platforms that kind of set the stage for the ones that would become a little more mainstream as we progressed. Um, we had Yahoo auctions in the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal. And then eBay became more prominent. Um, I would say around 96 or 97, that's kind of when it, it started to emerge and um, they introduced international sales in 1998. So that's a big deal. And um, we can't forget the instant messengers of the late nineties. So if you wanted to trade, it would be, Hey, what's your aim? What's your MSN? I think I used aim more than anything, but um, yeah, people were familiar with, with those messengers for other uses. Well, guess what? They were great for cards too, way before Instagram and, and Facebook messenger, we used aim. So um, that takes us to the Beckett user pages in the late nineties. And I, I know I'm talking a lot here, but Zach, this is kind of where you can jump in. Um, because I believe this is where you jumped into kind of the online card world. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was probably about 12 and, uh, you know, I started browsing. Um, the other the other competition to the Beckett user pages at this point would have been the uh, the Yahoo user groups. There were Yahoo uh, user groups for, for cards, for Beanie Babies, for you know, Star Wars, for really for anything. You could find a, a marketplace on the, the Yahoo groups. But the Beckett uh, user pages uh, sort of became the big deal because, you know, Beckett's the first place people go uh, when they look for cards. But also it was a bit intuitive, very easy to use. Um, it was really it was just HTML pages. You would you know click edit and you type literally just type up your trade list and leave your email at the bottom. Um, and I think I I'm pretty sure that some of the more sophisticated pages, you know, those people who really knew HTML, you know, would put in some, you know, 90s clip art to make their pages look pretty awesome. And right. Maybe yeah. a, a spinning envelope GIF. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Or, you know, grainy uh, four bit picture of, uh, you know, someone dunking. Um, my memory's a little bit hazy. I'm pretty sure that they were simply listed in chronological order um, from the last edit and you can put a title. So you can put a title, you know, looking for Kevin Garnett cards and you click on it and, you know, it, it would take you to your, to your user page and, you know, you just go on and every day you'd go down the first three pages of uh, titles. It, it, it worked similar to Craigslist is, is the okay. way I'm remembering it. So you just click on them and then you send an email or, you know, send a name. And uh, you try to work out a deal. The best part about these days, though, was that a uh, first class package was uh, 49 cents. So uh, you could really afford to do cheap deals. Now, searching that kind of sounds like a bit of a disaster. Was it searchable or literally you just had to look at everything that that popped up? I'm going to tell you, I honestly don't remember. I think there might have been a search function for the title. Um, I don't think that it was sophisticated enough to have a search function for the pages themselves. It's possible they implemented that later on. Um, I was on the Beckett user pages from 99 to 2000. I might've started probably early 99 to, to 2000. Because the first message board that I migrated to was actually not for uh, sports trading cards per se, um, it was for the best TCG ever created, which was MLB Showdown 2001 okay. and MLB Showdown 2000, you know. So there was a website called showdowncards.com, uh, which had a message board very much like what we're used to. And that's really uh, where I started um, with the message boards. And I was a very active member of that community. Um, I ended up actually being a moderator. I was 
12 or 13, I was a moderator. I should not have been a moderator. <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of what got me uh, back into the message boards. And when I sort of, you know, finished with Showdown and, and wanted to get back aggressively trading sports cards, you know, that's why I started looking for other message boards uh, rather than, you know, going back to the user pages or, or chat groups. Yeah, I, I kind of, mine wasn't Showdown. I kind of had a similar route though, where I started elsewhere, actually, mine was a, I believe it was a DC animated, uh, like Justice League, Batman, Superman, uh, which I also yeah. eventually modded and shouldn't have. Um, but I, I started there and then I thought, hey, you know, I kind of like cards. Uh, maybe there's actually a board for this as well. And then that's that's where I, I started the plunge and uh, haven't stopped since then. I maybe took a few breaks, but really haven't stopped since then. So uh, we move into the early 2000s. Maybe the pages are starting to go more toward the wayside because we've got GeoCities, we've got Angel Fire. I think FreeWebs came along a little bit later and the message board started to become more of a thing. And we had Collector's Universe, Card Trading Fools, Trader Retreat, Hobby Insider, uh, The Bench, Sports Card Forum, uh, but all of these were kind of smaller than the Beckett boards, if I remember right, uh, which have been described as more of a, a hangout. Okay. Um, so now talk to me about your transition to the boards then. Um, so I started off on Sports Card Forum. Um, that's where I sort of, you know, built my, built my base. Um, and then I went from Sports Card Forum to Trader Retreat. So I was on those two at the same time. And then I decided I was ready for the big leagues of the Beckett message boards. And, you know, the Beckett, the original Beckett message boards were just the wild west. Um, the original Beckett message boards did not have a feedback system. Uh, mm -hmm. Unlike uh, Trader Retreat, Trader Retreat had a, um, it started off as a, a feedback page. So there was a feedback forum and then you had a, um, like actual, you actually had to reply to a thread with your name on it. Mm -hmm. I think Hobby Insider was similar to that. Yeah, Hobby Insider was similar to that. Sports Card Forum was the first one, I think, to implement the actual, you know, uh, iTrader type thing mm -hmm. uh, where you had the, uh, the feedback next to your name. But Beckett had no feedback whatsoever. Most people listed their deals in their signature. On, mm -hmm. on the forum, I, that's I where we recorded that. it. And people would have, you know, these signatures with like 600 names in them. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's good. Um, but I mean, that was really the Wild West. because like, There's little, no moderation. You know, there, there was scamming everywhere. <laughs> a Beckett, Beckett pages were, were nuts and they were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun because, you know, just the who's who were there uh, wheeling and dealing anything under the sun, you know, vintage, modern. Uh, memorabilia. It was everything. You could, everything. Everything was there. And I remember it, you kind of wanted to forge your own identity. So you know, you had your avatars, you had your signature images. Um, you know, there were there was a a market for people that could make signature images. So let's keep going with this. There was all sorts of stuff going on on Beckett, and um, I want to say it was around 2005 or 2006. It was kind of chaotic. Beckett changed their format. Now, do you yeah. remember that? Uh, vaguely. Um, I think at that point, Beckett did implement an, an iTrader. It was the first uh, big thing they did. The forums changed a little bit. People got very angry for really no reason. It was, it was the sort of thing that... Uh, they, I think it was the increased moderation that, that really <laughs> was upsetting people. And that's when, the, the, when it fractured a bit and you ended up you got uh, freedom cardboard i think was one of them you got hobby kings was for basketball freedom cardboard was was baseball um hobby insider which already existed uh sort of became hockey hockey mm -hmm. central uh carved out their own identity for that um but it was really interesting because you know there's we there's a lot of other sites that we didn't talk about you know the the bench obviously was was sort of a low-end trading site um, but you also had ones like Sports Card Sheriff, I remember, was was actually big at one point in time. Mm -hmm. um, and Beckett had, had uh, effectively killed uh, most of the competitors um, that did not have sort of a, a dedicated uh, user base uh, for, you know, some sort of alternative sub market. You know, if you weren't 
uh, dedicated to a specific sport or, you know, dedicated to, you know, low end trading, something like that, it, they, they had effectively killed you. So really at that point in time, all that it was Beckett sports card forum was still going very strong. Trader retreat was sort of the elite uh, website that everyone would be part of. And then you had a couple uh, sports specific ones that were smaller and, and they were good for the people who use them, I think. Yeah. And um, I would say that I, I kind of took a break from around actually, well, probably around 2006, although I, funny enough, I used Hobby Insider, which it, it makes sense now. You said it was a hockey, kind of a hockey site because I was taking baseball cards for the Detroit Tigers and for fantasy camp and the old players and getting them signed at spring training. Um, and I was getting them from guys in Detroit. So it was a lot of hockey people. So I guess that made sense why I ended up there for a little bit, but um, I did spend a little time at hobby Kings. I don't have quite the memory of it that a lot of the veterans do. I've, you know, I've heard a lot of crazy stories from hobby Kings. You said that's where a lot of the basketball people went to. Can you tell me uh, what was your hobby Kings experience like? Hobby Kings, I think, was probably the best basketball card community uh, that ever existed on the Internet. Um, it was very self-selected. It was mostly people who were interested in upper deck autographs, 90s, hobby history. So you had, I, I don't want to call it elitist, um, but it was, it was a little bit elitist, I think. Um, but there was there was so much drama on on hobby kings that i think a, a large segment of the user base was far more interested in that than the actual buy sell trade experience but the really great thing about hobby kings is it really was the first place that people uh really showed off their collections you had guys like tim uh you know spinatron i think first made his big appearance there you know i met a lot of the people i know today on, on hobby kings and sort of forged these uh, you know lifetime uh, connections and friendships uh, for that matter. So I mean it, yeah, good times. That's all I can say. <laughs> and I, I guess I I probably left this out, but um, this was still you know to show those collections off. A lot of times people were using Photo Bucket, so you'd see you know CMB, which if you're making a trade, check my bucket. Right. And that's before I don't you know, if, if you're out there and you've tried to use photo bucket recently, you probably need a strong antivirus. You know, it's a lot different. But back then, that was what we had. And that was kind of how we stored our pictures. So that was a big deal. Zach, I'm assuming you had a, a pretty um, full photo bucket. Yeah. So the funny things about uh, photo bucket, oddly enough, I, I just found this out the, a couple months ago, they finally got around to doing their, you know, complete UI overhaul. And it's actually really, really nice now. They just charge you for it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, for, you know, 10 years, it was just like, you could not go there. And, you know, whatever you had uploaded there was dead. So just for anyone out there, if you have photos on PhotoBucket, you can rescue them right now very easily just with a couple clicks. And I would recommend you do that before they wise up and uh, block non-subscribers from downloading. But yeah, I mean, you had to have a photo bucket. There, there really wasn't uh, an alternative. There were, I think, others that people tried, but they didn't really work. But there was an art to the having the photo bucket because you could not have all of your cards in a photo bucket. Because if you had a card in there, someone was going to ask you for it. It doesn't matter if it said PC, not for trade, never for trade. Don't ask about this. I will literally stop talking to you. Someone was going to ask you for that card and someone was going to try and hold you hostage for it. So you had to be very careful what you put in these photo buckets. And there were some people who, you know, were so involved in the gamesmanship that they would change uh, the publicly viewable photos based on the person that they were talking to. So to make sure that they were only, you know, possibly going to trade a card they were interested in trading, they, they would actually change what you could see. Um, I think for most people, uh, the way we dealt with it was we had sort of a trade bucket and we had a PC bucket. And, you know, I had a PC bucket that, you know, I only showed 
to, you know, some close friends and, you know, fellow collectors. And, you know, maybe I'd show off an update, you know, once a year so people could see what I had. And I, you know, I just deal with the messages that, you know, were always going to come from that. Um, but you kept a separate, a separate uh, trade bucket for the stuff you were actually willing to move. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I remember vaguely having to, of course, I didn't have many super desirable cards anyway, but uh, there was a time where NFT was not something digital. That actually just meant like, you're not getting this card. It meant not for trade. <laughs> um, and, but even then, as, as you suggested it, some people didn't take that for what it actually meant. Okay. So I don't want to, I, I know I'm going to get messages if I, if I don't mention the international boards and, and rightfully so I should get messages if I don't mention them. Um, but there were, during this time, there were several international boards that had strong followings. I did log on to a couple of those myself to try and search for Ron R test cards. I know yep. there was a popular Australian one. I Oz had cards. more success. Yes, exactly. I had more success there because I could read all of the posts. Um, there was a German board that I saw a lot of awesome cards on, but I couldn't really, um, you know, it wasn't as yeah. easy to interpret what was going on there. Das cardboard. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit of what you remember about those two boards. Uh, I mean, they were the same as American board. Oz cards. I mean, you go onto Oz cards and they'd have, uh, you know, sections for for rugby and, and footy and cricket and all kinds of things that you wouldn't recognize. But it was it was a regular message board. Um, it worked a little bit differently. Uh, in terms of, of sending messages, it was almost like you were creating a, a PM chain, I think. But other than that, it was very good site for a very good community. The Australian you know, card community is, is a big community. Really great people. Um, DAS Cardboard, again, um, they had separate sell and buy forums, which was interesting. But I think most of the people that you dealt with on DOS cardboard, you would find on a hobby Kings or a sports card forum. Um, there weren't, there weren't a lot of big people over there in, in Europe who weren't also on an American uh, based site. You know, if you really wanted, if you, you know, if you were really hunting something, you know, that you thought could be, hidden in a collection anywhere over the world that's that's when you really start hitting a dos cardboard or or some of the the japanese uh, auction websites or uh even some of the the very early chinese websites i never ventured that far because i was never uh the sort of super collector who just you know had to find something right. um you know i was just always very very general you know enjoying trading for for hall of fame autographs for my collection or just interesting cards generally so i i stuck uh, mostly to the to the American boards, um, unless I saw something on eBay that I was trying to track somebody down. Okay, so as as we continue to move throughout the two thousands, you know, most of these boards were active, and they you know they had general traffic. And I believe it was around two thousand nine. I think there was another change at the Beckett boards. Do you remember that? Yeah. So Beckett uh, decided that they wanted to cash in uh, on all the transactions going there. And they initially announced that they were going to charge you per transaction because, you know, back in the day, the way you got feedback on these systems was you had to actually post the trade in advance. You know, today on, you know, blowout cards, or, or some of the other websites that are still out there, um, you just sort of click on the number, you add feedback, you know, it's like eBay or something. Back then, you actually sort of create a contract uh, ahead of time that was stored in the system and then was actually indexed uh, to the feedback. So Beckett had never used that before um, because, again, Wild West, um, but they decided uh, that they were going to cash in on it they would make everyone log the transactions and you actually had to have like transaction points. And when you had, when you ran out of transaction points, you'd have to buy more with like actual money um, before you can enter into more transactions. And everyone was just like, no, <laughs> we are, we are not paying you for this service. And they lost 
90% of their traffic <laughs> overnight. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of the Beckett message boards as a, you know, actual force um, in the hobby. And uh, I mean, they, they did continue, you know, there were always people who were loyal to Beckett um, and they did, you know, retain a, a, a good community for some time, um, but very, very small uh, compared to, uh, you know, sports card forum or, um, or hobby Kings or trader retreat or some of the other sites that were still going. Um, Actually, Trader Retreat might have been small by 2009. Um, that site, Trader Retreat, unfortunately, I don't know what led to the death of Trader Retreat. It was very slow. Um, I think at first it was just that Beckett had become so big that it was stealing traffic away. Um, but it was also a lull in in the hobby, really. Mm-hmm. You know, that that era from 2005 to, to 2010 was you know, it was the opposite of what we're going through right now. You know, just a lot of people were losing interest. There were a lot of bad NBA draft classes, you know, very, very few, you know, all-time greats, you know, came out in those years. Um, I can't think of a lot of huge uh, baseball players. You know, today we just had, you know, we've had Soto, Acuna, Otani, Guerrero, Robert. In baseball right now, we've, we've got like eight or 10 position players and like eight or 10 pitchers who are all just looking absolutely incredible. And they've all just come out in the last three or four years. And, you know, all of the products are just filled with, you know, very valuable rookie cards. This was the opposite, just somehow mm-hmm. across all of the sports, there was just nobody good, <laughs> like at all coming out. And it just slowly, but surely was just killing, killing the hobby. And uh, so I think that because of that, the number of people losing interest, becoming lapsed. Um, I mean, I was definitely one of them. You know, when I went to, to college in, in, 2000, in 2005, you know, I stopped doing cards and started playing World of Warcraft. So, you know, I, I was among them. There just wasn't anything interesting going on. I was only buying baseball for those few years, like 06 to 08. Um, because I was getting them signed at games. So I figured like, well, at least if the pulls aren't good, I can go get these cards signed. Um, and I, I missed out on a couple dud classes. Of course I did miss out on Kevin Duran as well, but, um, eventually I think Blake Griffin kind of sucked me back in. Yeah. Curry wasn't a big deal then, but Blake was, and, and the Clippers were exciting. And I know he set out that first year, but the Clippers were very exciting and that's kind of when things changed in the hobby scene as well. I came back in and uh, I'm like, okay, Beckett's, I, I remember Beckett. It's not, you know, not what it used to be. Uh, let me check sports card for him. Cause I was big on SCF. Um, so that's where kind of where I went back to. And there seemed to be some presence there and there seemed to be some people that migrated there. And then um, the blowout forums came along to help fill that void as well. Were you there for the start of the blowout forums? I was not there for the start of the blowout forums. I sort of resisted it um, because I was I was very big on sports card forum, and I just was like, "Oh yeah, this will this will be fine for me." Um, so I think I joined blowout 2011, maybe might have been earlier. Might have been I might have registered in like 2008 and just not used it. Um, yeah, it took you a few years. I, I didn't actually register till like I don't think 2014 but I was lurking a little bit here and there. All right. Let's, let's see. I'm actually interested in this now. I want to find out. Yeah. Pull I, this up. Let's take a look at this. when I registered. I trader. My join date was February, 2010. Okay. So I joined February, 2010. I probably didn't start really using the website until late 2011 um, is, is probably when I did my, you know, official, uh, migration. And this was an interesting time in the hobby because like you said, you know, you had missed out on some, some good uh, draft, uh, you know, Durant, but 2010 was a super exciting time that really drew people back in because you didn't just have Blake Griffin, you mm-hmm. know, you had a bunch of prospects from, you know, the, the first great draft class really that got talent back in the NBA was 0809 mm-hmm. with um, Derek Rose 
uh, Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, and you know a number of other players. Beasley, and, OJ Mayo, which were huge well, at the time. Yeah, they were huge at the time. But you know, 2010 was I think Rose's MVP season. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Russell Westbrook turned the corner, and all of a sudden, him and Durant together were making their first real playoff push. You know, Blake Griffin came back from injury and was dunking over everything. You know, James Harden was looking good. Steph Curry was looking good. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden people are going, oh, man, there's some great young talent. And I remember what was going on back then in 2010 was that due to the doldrums of the previous five or six years, wax prices had crashed beyond belief. Again, opposite of what's going on today. Mm -hmm. You had boxes that were, you know, $120, $150 uh, SRP, sort of these mid-tier products that had were selling on blowout for like 50, 60 bucks a box. And people were cracking cases, I remember, of 0809 hot prospects at like 50 bucks a box, 0708 hot prospects at like 50 bucks a box. Uh, chronology, 0708 chronology uh, was still available um, for like 80 or $100 a box because no one had been opening these classes. And, um, all of a sudden people are just spending thousands upon thousands of dollars, uh, cracking wax, chasing Durant rookies, chasing Rose rookies, um, you know, and sort of the other guys in the 08 class and, you know, other guys in 09 class. And, you know, it was great being on the boards because when they cracked these boxes, where was the first place they posted it all? They didn't throw it straight onto eBay. They didn't right. throw it straight out at card show. They posted it on blowout card on blowout card message boards and you had first pick of whatever anyone was willing to sell and this was really where i think the golden age of blowout card forums started and that was something we didn't mention that earlier posting uh, results of box breaks. That's something that kind of developed over time. I remember at, at one point on Sports Card Forum, they had they had their own currency called Card Cash, and they actually had to incentivize people to post scans. Um, so they, you know, if you post your scan of your box break, we're going to give you ten Card Cash, and then you can use that to bet on games, or you can use that to buy, you know, relic cards from our store or whatever. And then eventually this turned into, like you said, where that became the message board became the first spot where people would post their breaks. It kind of like, you know, social media now, although we see every break, it seems like live, uh, we weren't having a lot of stuff on, on video then. It was just scans or pictures and they would go to the, uh, the box break section and post those. So, sure. So, I mean, that was always part of, of the forums. I mean, Sports Card Forum, you're absolutely right, was the first one that, you know, really tried to get people to, to do that. Um, you know, Hobby Kings, uh, not Hobby Kings, Trader Retreat back in the day used to uh, do that also incentivize, but they also uh, were the first site to have uh, partnerships uh, with some of the card companies that Tops and Upper Deck and Fleer would send uh, Trader Retreat uh, boxes um, that the moderation staff would break and do a review and then, you know, other people would want to get in on it. But the thing about the original blowout card forums, because originally today it's blowoutforums.com, but that it actually used to be on, on blowoutcards.com. Since blowout cards was the largest or one of the largest online distributors of wax, you had this natural synergy uh, that people were buying these cases from blowout and then posting the results on blowout. Um, so you had sort of this extra incentive uh, for customers to post these breaks to sell on the forums um, because the actual suppliers were, were pushing it and sort of directing them uh, onto the forum. Yeah, I think that's one thing that a lot of people uh, overlooked where you know, it, it wasn't so much the same with like a sports card forum or trader retreat, whereas like blowout forums is a big advertisement for blowout selling wax. Um, and it still is to this day. And that's, you know, something that I think they, they've done a pretty good job with. And I know uh, Beckett tried to monetize their stuff in a different way and uh, didn't quite work out for them. But blowouts in a situation where they've got the product, people talk about the product on pretty much the same platform where they're buying the product. 
Um, so it's kind of a one-stop shop for them. Um, all right. So as we moved into the, the 2010s, social media became more of a thing. But uh, my experiences with social media were that, you know, cards and social media didn't quite merge in the early stages. I wasn't doing card stuff on social media and, and especially not to the extent that I am now. Um, you know, Reddit, people were not really talking about cards. They're still barely talking about cards. And um, we started seeing some more changes with Photo Bucket. And uh, I think in 20, around 2013, it got really bad with Photo Bucket. People had to look for an alternative. Uh, a lot of people moved to Flickr. I know that I did. And, um, and then social media started, started to increase as well. And, um, that's kind of where everything has migrated to. And I know, you know, it sounds weird that we're just kind of skipping this whole decade here, but a lot of people have lived through that and they've seen that migration. Um, and then hobby Kings was actually taken off the internet in December of 2019. So even though it, it was dead, I used hobby Kings a lot as a reference and, um, now that's gone. It's taken off. Do you remember um, when they decided to take, to take that off? I I do. And what's ironic about it is for being someone who I think was sort of a core member of that website, um, by the time it was taken down, I probably had not actively used it in about six years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Blowout had killed uh, Hobby Kings pretty quickly. Um, as, as it happened, because the Hobby Kings community was, was very small and, you know, some people, you know, lapsed or, or quit the hobby and, you know, you just needed sort of a, a critical mass of people to, to migrate, to blow out. And that was just enough to, to kill the, the entire site. So it's, it stayed on and it was a good way to sort of, uh, keep in touch with people who, you know, were, were maybe only, you know, partially, uh, engaged um, at that time because again we're talking about 2013 what happens in 2013 in basketball well 2013 is is the entrance of another doldrums in in basketball card collecting 2013 draft class yes we know Giannis was in there but at the time Giannis was just a you know very raw prospect and that was one of the worst drafts ever 2014 you know yeah we know Levine and and uh and Embiid and Randall are pretty good now, but back then, you know, Embiid was injured for two years and Zach Levine was very raw and Julius Randall looked like a ball hog, uh, you know, 15, six, 15, 16, again, you know, okay. You had Towns at the top, but yeah. at that point in time, Towns was the only guy you thought was going to be anything. Um, you know, the number of people who sank money into Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and lost it all. A lot of, a lot of people lost the money, a lot of money on those two guys. Um, I know you said earlier you you're kind of following Timberwolf stuff along the way. Were you in on those two guys? No, no. Uh, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I I didn't I did not. Um, I've never been uh, much of a rookie guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I I was just using. I, when people zigged, I like to zag and, and pick up whatever's undervalued uh, at that point in time. So. Um, Blowout has obviously changed quite a bit over the years. And, and maybe I say obviously, but there might be a lot of people that weren't on the blowout forums at one point. Um, when blowout was at its best, um, what did that look like to you? Well, when blowout was at its best, uh, you know, the golden age, you know, it, it really felt a lot like those Beckett message boards from a, a decade earlier. Um, but perhaps even better because you did have the integrated feedback system and you did have all these uh, box breaks. Um, so it really was the who's who uh, on the site. It really was just, you know, fantastic buy, sell, trade. You know, contrary to what a lot of people are saying, I actually think that buy, sell, trade on blowout is still pretty strong. Um I would say the difference, big difference between now and then is really the hobby talk sections. Um, there's a lot less uh, showing off your collections, talking about the hobby and much more drama um, because, you know, things change, you know, we're, we're talking about just a 20 year history here and, you know, really where the hobby migrates is where you grew up with, you know, we, 
we're kind of old men in this hobby in our mid thirties, you know, and, you know, we're used to the message boards because that was the new technology at the time, you know, as social media has become, you know, what's new, you know, that's where people have gone. And you can even see that in which social media website is getting hot. You know, at first, you know, people started using Facebook because it was so easy to, to be on there. There wasn't sort of a uh, entry barrier that signing up or just finding the forum to begin with, right? Just on Facebook, find a group. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after Facebook, well, you know, where are 20 year olds using Facebook? No, they're not. 20 year olds don't use Facebook anymore. They use Instagram. So then the hobby moves towards Instagram. Um, and, and I noticed it took you a little while to get there, right? Yeah, I was, well, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm a, I'm an old coot. Like, you know, I'm resistant to new technology. So, you know, I was, I was late to, to even to Facebook, um, you know, probably like 2017. Oh, I finally got on Facebook 2016. Um, and then Instagram, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say that I'm actively using Instagram right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to post a, a photo a day, and, you know, try and get some sales going. So yeah, anyone out there, uh, follow BDRR underscore sports cards. You'll start seeing some, uh, some cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Instagram is very interesting to me because I think it has the, uh, a very high skill floor to effectively use, you know, like with forums, they're just, they're intuitive, right? You, most recent threads, you know, you can search a thread and find a list, find a photo, you know, contact the person. Oh, here's a topic thread, you know, comment on the topic thread, talk about it. You know, Facebook, more or less the same thing, you know, just the only difference is you have to find the right group for you because there's so many of them. But once you find a good group that you like, you know, say buy, sell, trade, just like anything else, you know, discuss just like anything else. With Instagram, you know, you actually have to do some work uh, finding the right accounts and gaming the algorithm and learning what hashtags to search. So otherwise you're never going to find what you want or what you mm-hmm. want to buy. And you have to spend a lot of time, you know, sort of looking at these story sales or looking through people's, you know, gallery pictures. Um, and I got to say, I, I have not figured it out. It's yeah, it's hard. I'm very impressed with all the people who have this, you know, down and are creating these Instagram empires because I I have not even managed to to get my foot in the door. I was very skeptical about Instagram. Um, I signed up in the first week. I made a deal for a Reggie Miller 101 patch that I had, you know, I had wanted for years. Um, so I kind of I was hooked at that point. But I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've been on it for. I don't know, at least three years now, I think, and I'm still struggling with it. I think there are some elements of the message boards that um, are all kind of integrated there. Like, you know, we used to have to take pictures and find a, an image host and then find out how to embed those pictures into the post. And you were going to three or four different places to make it work. Well, now on Instagram, it's all in one spot. Um, the downside though, and, and I know you and I are, are kind of interested in the history of the hobby, um, well, I'll let you kind of give your take here. What do you think is the downside in, in the long run um, of having it all on a place like Instagram? I mean, my take on this is that Instagram is much more of the social social media than, say, Facebook is. Facebook, really, when you think about it, is sort of a new iteration of those old Yahoo groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that it is social media is, is kind of a misnomer when you think about how things work. Um, Instagram, I think the legacy of Instagram and the hobby um, is going to be the bubble, you know, that we're currently in because it sort of allowed the snake oil salesman uh, to have um, a much bigger and I think destructive platform. Mm-hmm. Um, now we've all benefited from this. So, you know, thank you, snake oil salesman. Um, <laughs> right. Shout out to the snake oil salesman. 
Yeah. But, you know, you and I, we've been doing this for, for 20 years. We've seen bubbles before. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen crashes before. You know, we've seen people make tons of money and we've seen them lose tons of money. We've seen the hobby be really strong and be really weak. And I, I really don't like what's been happening uh, largely because of, of Instagram. Um, because I think it's going to leave a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. And I know I'm, I'm just going on a rant here, but sort of the way Instagram works, like I'm, I'm on Instagram and somehow, you know, the algorithm, every sixth thing is Bitcoin. It's just, it's Bitcoin hype accounts trying to hype Bitcoin, get people to buy Bitcoin. And I can't seem to get rid of them. And it's, you know, very similar to what people were doing with base prisms and base tens, sort of convincing people that these actually very common cards are, in fact, rare and inherently valuable. Um, And they did this, of course, because they're easy to acquire. And if they're easy to acquire, you can make a lot more money once you successfully hype them. And, you know, that's kind of what we've seen, because it's not as if everything went up at once. You know, you first had Prism and then it wasn't a year later until people decided, oh, yeah, you know, those Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant PSA 10s are probably valuable, too. You know, people went after Luca first because, you know, Luca was on people's minds. Prism was on people's minds. And in my mind, the only reason it happened like that is because these these snake oil salesmen, these market movers, these hypers just wanted to take some time to acquire a large stash of cards that they could sell down the road. Right. Um, And, you know, even things like silver prisms, that's the most common prism parallel. It's not actually that rare. Why are silver prisms the most valuable prism parallel? You know, there's so many of them. They're so easy to find and get your hands on. And I know there's other takes on this. I've talked to a lot of repackers. Repackers like that stuff because it's liquid. And if it's liquid, it means you can acquire it, put out your product. People pull the card. They look on eBay. They can see where it's at today and go, oh, yeah. You know, I broke this $300 box. I got $250 slob out of it. I don't feel bad about this. I'll go buy another box, you know, which is much easier than, you know, you pull out some parallel number to, you know, 49 PSA 10. It's a pop two. You have no idea what your card is worth right now. Right. Um, So, you know, that's that's the counter argument is is that uh, liquidity uh, was key for getting people into it. But it also made the crash much bigger. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what I think Instagram's legacy on the hobby is right now. It's not done being written, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's not the being able to connect with other people and see all of their high-end cards. That's one good feature. You know, it's not being able to have your easily updated, uh, uploaded photos and gallery in one place. That's great. I mean, it's wonderful. But I don't think that's actually going to be Instagram's legacy uh, when we talk about this 10 years from now or 20 years from now. We're going to talk about Instagram and the great pandemic bubble. Yeah. Um, since you you brought it up, I, I know people have been criticizing. I think it was a Gary V post where he said LeBron, Kobe and MJ autos are really rare. And people were criticizing him like, "Are you, you've been in the hobby for X amount of time and you're just now realizing this. No, he knew that all along. It's just that stuff's not liquid. He couldn't stockpile that stuff and he couldn't move it. Um, and this is kind of the next iteration of what guys like him are doing because the liquid stuff is running its course. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're jumping on anything right now. I don't know if you've seen what like Formula One is doing yeah. or, or UFC. It, it's getting... It's getting pretty crazy. You know, people are looking for something that they can hype, you know, and if you have a good theory, you know, all, all sorts of weird things, you know, uh, women's soccer cards, tennis cards, you know, anything that you can say, oh, this is one of the greatest of all time. This is their rookie card. You know, it's it's crazy. You know, I was down at um, Burbank Sports Cards uh, when uh, the WNBA Prism came out. And that had to be one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. So I was down there and I mean, they could not keep the WNBA prism in stock. It was the hottest thing on the market. They got in, 
you know, 20 cases, they sold 20 cases in, in four days. And I was standing down there just watching these people rip box after box after box. I said, why are you ripping this stuff? And they go, well, it sells. Right. Sabrina's going to make them rich. Yeah. I go, well, do you know who any of these women are? And they go, no, we have no idea who they are. Do you care about the WNBA? No. I said, then why are you doing it? I go, well, it sells because there is this theory that it was going to sell. And so you have this game of hot potato where everyone's trying to sort of get in, flip it and get out before you reach the peak and everything just, you know, plummeted. And now to their credits, it turns out some of those uh, cards, you know, Sabrina Ionescu's and, and what's not have actually turned out to be, you know, moderately valuable, you know, maybe not um, as valuable as uh, when they came out, especially when people found out it was only like a hundred card set and you got like three of the rookies in every box. Right. Um, but it's just, it's very, it's very interesting uh, right now. It's very, it's, it's scary. All right. So we talked about um, some of the things that are happening with base cards and certain cards or, or that did happen. I think some of it's cycling around now. Um, I think one of the good things in the past about the forums is that it, it provided a spot where that kind of stuff could be exposed uh, in a more linear fashion. I think Absolutely. it's still out there on Instagram, but it's it's like a shotgun blast, and you got to try and piece it all together. Um, and I I pulled a quote here that from a friend we were having a conversation at one point, um, and about kind of um, what's happened with message boards. And he said, "quote It's so hard to get any kind of real discussion happening there now, and it's actually a detriment to the hobby not to have a singular place to coalesce, to hash out ideas, and inform." It works to the benefit of scammers and manipulators that everything is so fragmented. And I think that sums up uh, what you really, what you just talked about there. So um, at one point on blowout, and I, I know I already mentioned this, but you said, I am eternal. I will still be trading cards on the internet when you're dead and buried. The sun will implode and turn the earth into dust yet. I will still be here in cyberspace flipping $5 Walt Frazier autos. Um, I, that was like seared in my head after I read that. I know you, you probably typed that up a year ago. Um, but to me, something like this, you know, we laugh about it, but it indicates that you have some faith in message boards going forward. And a lot of people think they're either dying or they're, or they're already pretty much dead. Do you think message boards still have a place in the hobby? I think message boards have a very important place in the hobby, um, because, I think that the sort of the hobby talk sections are, are very underrated. Um, they're places where uh, people who really want to put in the time and effort to discuss things, to uncover things uh, can do so. And like you said, the, the biggest problem with the blow up forums right now is I think that Instagram has sort of siphoned off um, a lot of the collectors who are more interested in actually discussing the hobby in terms of showing off their cards and making connections rather than say uh, actively buying and selling or sort of actively discussing uh, the nuances and uh, you know what's the word that sort of the, the ongoing dilemmas and dramas of the hobby. And it turns out that when you take away those people, all you're left with are the drama llamas. Mm -hmm. um, you, you just sort of left with trolls and people who are sort of fringe participation who maybe only collect, you know, one very certain uh, low end thing and, you know, are just very upset about other people who have uh, more money or who are actively uh, engaged in buying and selling, which they see as impure. But it's like, if you go down these threads on the blowout forums now, you know, just look at the feedback of the people who are making these comments. It's always like 12, 20, mm -hmm. you know, 15, zero. And, you know, these will be people who have been registered on the website for 10 years. They've made 12 transactions, you know, it's barely participation. Um, a lot of them um, are sort of holier than thou types. Um, but it's not to take away from the people who remain and really are using it. 
um, the way it needs to be used. Um, a lot of people um, have criticized BOTA. Uh, for those of you who don't know what BOTA is, it's the Blowout Detective Agency. Um, it's a small group of people who are quite frankly doing some of the most impressive detective work um, I've ever seen in my life in somehow just being able to use the very small amount of publicly available sales data and uh, photos to find uh, you know, trimmed, uh, trimmed cards that have been graded and sold and who is selling them. And it's absolutely fantastic work. You know, I've had, I've had some minor criticisms of the way they've gone about it, um, but I think by and large, yeah, it's incredibly uh, important that not just are they doing it, but that it's archived because mm -hmm. once you put it on the forums, it's there and it's searchable for everyone to find from now until however long the forum is there. And that, my friends, is the really important part of forums. There is history. You can find what the discussions were about the state of the hobby five years ago, and you can see how much of it has come out to be true because that can teach you about what's going on in the future. So it, it's really, really important that the forums stay around, um, that that institutional knowledge uh, remains, that archive data uh, remains. You know, that was the big tragedy of Hobby Kings uh, being taken offline. All that was gone forever, but it is it is harder to get involved in the blowout uh, community right now simply because of the number of of trolls to hobbyists um, right. that are are active right now. It's it's very Twitter esque, I would say. And my suggestion. Um, really to anyone that that's interested in being a part of that community or trying to maintain some of the better elements of that community is number one to participate. Um, and then also, you know, make it a point to be active in the, the threads that are, you know, that you find valuable. Um, I, and I've had some of those guys on here, TJ force, which was Tom, he talked about his flip quest. He talked about next day autos. I've had geech quest Evan on here to talk about his top 20, panini inserts list so there is some good stuff out there it does take a little digging but um, if you like it and you appreciate it make sure to let someone know one final note you talked about how it, it hurt us quite a bit to have hobby kings disappear in fact i think the photo bucket hobby kings one two punch was really crippling for historical yeah. archives for the hobby but i have reached out to joey who owns hobby kings and he still has the information it doesn't mean oh. it's going to be back online. So the information is still there. I I was in the process of having him on the show at one point and he was unable to, but I am going to hopefully, you know, re-engage with those conversations and, and maybe we could use this show as a platform to do that. I think that would be a good idea. Say, hey, we've given an overview of, of message board history. Maybe now we could learn more about Hobby King specifically. So um, Zach, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show I feel like we've made at least six or seven deals in the past, maybe even more than that. But I, I trust you as a guy that I know I can go to and and you're not going to return stuff and um, you're accurate about describing <laughs> things. So I do really appreciate that. We made a trade at the 2019 National. I got my Granger Gold RPA. So thank you very much. Speaking of the National, um, I know you're setting up in the National. So before we go, feel free to plug your booth or talk about some of the things that you'll have with you there the next few moments are yours. So um, I will be at the National, as, as Kyle just said. I've been at everyone for the past uh, 10 years. Uh, my booth number is 436, uh, right near the concession stand. Uh, very, you'll, you'll probably pass me on the way down to that um, sort of modern basketball corner. I'm going to have all kinds of stuff that no one else is going to have. Um, you know, most other people are going to have a lot of the, the high-end rookies, the Lucas, this is the that's. I'll have a little bit of it, not that much. Um, I'm going to have a good selection of 90s inserts of Hall of Fame autographs that are increasingly hard to find. Um, just very different stuff. So if you're if you're in the mood 
uh, to see something different, um, come, come check me out. I always just have an eclectic mix of things that you've probably not seen or haven't seen in a while. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Zach. And I will see you in Chicago. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Zach again for coming on the show. You know, it's impossible for us to cover every component of message board history, but I hope we hit all of the big points today. I'm trying to give you guys a broader picture of the hobby and its history. And as I said earlier, hobby message boards have played a pretty big role in the last 20 years. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you were a part in the early years, or maybe you have a great memory you want to share. Maybe there was something we talked about that resonated with you. Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>